God, we thank you for this evening. And we thank you for uh, these men and women who are journeying with us. We've got a fantastic text tonight to go through in Jonah chapter 2. And this story just keeps getting more odd. And we, we kind of take this story for granted because it's usually one of the five or six Sunday school lessons that we learn as a kid. And they kind of just keep cycling these lessons. And we've heard the story of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the big fish, or whatever it is, Jonah and the sea monster. We, we've heard that story a million times, Lord, and so it's easy to take this for granted, but how shocking this text would have been to an original reader who would not have categories to even consider this, where the deep and the things underneath the water, it's scary to think about now, but just imagine at a time before sonar and a time before Jacques Cousteau or anything like that, that was a terrifying place, and, and to imagine well, Lord, th this text is so novel, and we just thank you for it. And we just, we pray that we would be challenged and encouraged tonight. And as we especially learn from Jonah's, uh, his testimony, and his, the, way, the way he will, his example will teach us tonight. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we are in Jonah chapter 2, and we're calling this one Remembered. And my wife and I are going through this, uh, this fun phase right now where we're, we're taking advantage of this quarantine time to, to work on things that we need to work on. And so we're doing things like a puzzle, a gigantic jigsaw puzzle, and it's ridiculous. It's so hard. We have been wanting to give up a million times. And finally, I just said, you know what? No, I want this puzzle to be an object lesson. I'm just going to keep going with this puzzle. And it's a Captain America puzzle. So it's, you know, for, for our son's room one day, we've got the puzzle glue. It's just a pain. But I just work on little things, little by little, a piece at a time. I get up, I come back, and oh, yeah, I'll put that one there. And it's just a hard puzzle to do, but we're working on it. But we're working on things in our marriage. And one of the things we're working on is, uh, well, we, we stole away last weekend, and we went up to Camp Iwana. And we were up there because we we're going to have a live worship service with the church. And, and that was great. Of course, it was wonderful. And the thing about quarantine, especially the, 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 the residing at home is uh, I'm always there. The kids are always there. And, Jen, and my wife, Jen's able to get out. Um, she's able to you know, go visit sometimes, but it's like my marriage is always there on the forefront. My parenting is always there on the forefront. So this, this quarantine has given us opportunities to work on things because it's constantly, constantly there. And so if daddy's having a bad mood that day and snapping at the kids that day, it's evident because it's right there front and center. If, if husband's not being, you know, this great example is not being a, uh, someone who is uh, showing sacrificial love, it's right there. And I've got to deal with it. And I can work on it. Well, one of the things we did when we went, went up to camp, we were trying to work on things and just say, I get away and try to you know, enjoy, enjoy the scenery. And there was a couple times when I'll just, I'll share one here at the beginning. They have, they have a mini golf course. All right. It's not the greatest mini golf course, but my kids had never mini golf before. Sometimes you call it putt, putt golfing or miniature golf. So we're out there and my kids each took turns like exploding and each took turns as, you know, nagging at each other and exploding at each other. And I was by myself. Jennifer was off connecting with somebody else talking and she was, you know, maybe 30, 40 feet away. It was just me and the kids. And I'm thinking, this is an opportunity. I can teach them how to putt putt. Here it is. Boom. But it wasn't working. The kids just kept getting louder and they kept fighting with each other. And I just kept getting more. My anxiety 
anxiety hit going to the roof. And I was just at the point where like, what am I going to do? And I wasn't handling things in the moment great. And all these great quarantine blow up moments kept coming back. And I'm like, all right, wham. I, just, I give up. You stand over there. You stand over there. And I'm calling for my wife across the field. Could you get over here? And I, I know your conversation's great, but me and the kids need you. And it was just an epic fail of daddy teaching the kids. It's just the worst. I felt like the worst parent ever. I just like, I just, I it didn't accomplish anything. But what happened? Mommy came over and everything got reset. And with Jen over there, we were able to kind of divide and conquer a little bit. We were able, they were get, able to get a second voice telling them what to do. And they were, she got to be a little bit more hands-on with, you know, the little golf clubs and whatnot. And the kids had a blast. I had a blast. She had a blast. We took some awesome videos of it. We needed that reset. That reset was the most necessary thing to turn what was really a terrible anxiety-filled moment into something in the moment that would be memorable. And I hope the kids will look back. And by the end of it, Joshua was really doing a good little job. He couldn't, he couldn't do it, swing that club for nothing at the beginning. But at the end, he was knocking the ball around just fine. And you know what? We saw how to deal with Julia's drama or whatnot. But oh, well, the reset is what we needed. And I, that came to mind here in our text tonight. Because Jonah's going to get a reset. He's going to be drowning his face is going to be covered up with seaweed. Is it almost to the bottom of the, of the ocean or of the Mediterranean Sea? It most likely would be. He's about ready to die, and all of a sudden, chomp. And now he's in this creature, and now he's just there. What is going to happen? There's never been a greater reset than that. What's going to happen now? And so, verse 1 tonight in chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prays the Lord his God. You know, commentators have, have questioned, oh, you know, the, the, we always teach this Jonah and the whale. And they'll say, oh, the word's not whale, and it's not that way in the Hebrew. And, and whales probably, the, the, the ancient world didn't really know what a whale was. And, and I, I got to honestly say, if that's something you've ever lost sleep over, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't see it out, out of bounds for God to, just to create a brand new creature for this moment. Who cares? It's like no one's going to see it, really. It's, it's just kind of like it could have been some kind of weird sea monster, for all we know. It, it just doesn't matter. It's, it is a, a creature so big that he's able to swallow Jonah without killing him. And his stomach would be so cavernous that – and some have even argued that it was a female fish because the male and female, it goes back and forth. And so one, one time it's a male fish, the next time it's a female fish. Some have argued that it was a gigantic pregnant female fish with a, an enlarged womb. And so I don't know. I don't, don't lose any sleep over that. But here he is. He's no longer going to be drowning. We left last week. He was tossed overboard. And God sent a fish. And so from inside the fish, Jonah prayed, uh, Thanksgiving timeline here. That's the setting. The timeline here, um, Jonah's going to give thanks in this text today. And it's going to be a great psalm. And uh, like an Old Testament psalm. It's going to be a great prayer. And uh, you can even call it like a lament. But know this. And this is a spoiler alert. He's going to give thanks before he's safely on land. He's not out of the woods yet, as it were. He's also not drowning. So he's going to give thanks for whatever he can. And we don't know if that fish or whatever that thing is has had a meal that day. And an animal that large would 
probably have whatever it swallowed still there. And so who knows what is around Jonah? Who knows if it's uh, everyone who's ever, who ever cleaned a fish or been around or spent enough time at uh, the grocery store where there's a fish section and the smell of fish is one of the most noticeable smells. It's most people do not like that smell. I myself hate that smell. And I wonder if Jonah would forever love that smell. I don't know. He's surrounded by fish slime and whatever's in that fish's cavity. And it's, it's both disgusting and awesome at the same time. Two to six. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. Wow. Then he continues on here. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. Your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Wow. You know, Jonah, verse 2, he's going to summarize the situation. He, you know, he was in distress, and he cried out, and God answered. And honestly, if you were writing this story, I don't think you'd make God answer Jonah. I think you'd make God do something like, nyan, 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 nyan. You're going to run from me? You're, you're dead. I, I'm not going to put up with you. And honestly, in our stories, how much God puts up with us, I look back on my life and there's the great hypocrisy that I lived for so many years. I'm like, why would God put up with me? How could God have a plan for me? Why would God deal with me? And I can understand why God would give his grace. I don't understand his grace that way, but, but God's a loving God, quick to show that mercy. And, and, but wow, um, he's on the surface in verse three, he's sinking in verse four. And by verse five, he's near the bottom. He's toast. He's not going to make it. And, and the language is interesting because we do this in English and Hebrew actually is the same way. The translation there was the earth beneath barred me in. Now bar in English actually has three meanings. Uh, the first meaning would be like, I don't know, like a, a cantina or something, but it's not that meaning. But there's two kinds of bars usually. There's the bars that are on like a prison cell that kind of, kind of prison, you know, hold you into your cell. And there's also a sandbar, like a, se a section of like a length of sand near the water. And those last two meanings are kind of like a double entendre here. So here he is, and he's sinking down, and the earth beneath the ocean is barring him in forever. you got to understand that, like I said in my prayer, this is pre-Jacques Cousteau. Nobody's seen that stuff. The very, 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 very bottom. I read today that there's actually a mountain on earth that's taller than Mount Everest. If you start at the very bottom of the sea, where the roots of the mountain are, and how far it goes up, it actually goes higher than Everest does above water. And so it's amazing. Here he is way down there, and it's going to bar him in like a, like a sandy prison cell. And where he's going to be, or like a grave, you're going to spend the, his days. He's sinking, he's near the bottom in verse five. He's at the bottom in verse six. But you, Lord, my God, brought me up from the pit. So Jonah's faith journey as he sunk to the bottom, God hurled him into the waves. I like how Jonah says that. Because remember what the sailors last week prayed. Oh God, don't hold us accountable as, as we chuck him over the gunwales here. Don't hold us accountable. 
yeah, he's making us do it. Don't, don't hold us accountable. You know, don't, don't, his innocent blood. And now here he is saying, God, you tossed me over. So God hurled him into the waves. And though Jonah had run from God's place, he now felt banished. And uh, when you feel banished, it's like, okay, there's no option to return. And so Jonah feels like here, even if I were to choose to go back and to do what God wanted me to do, I really don't have a choice. I'm done. But for some reason, Jonah has hope. And again, he's not in the fish. He's not in the fish yet. He's sinking. And, and, but he still has hope that one day he's going to see, one day um, he can be able to turn and look. He knows he can't return to God's temple, kind of like where he was beginning of chapter one, where God tells him to go. And he's a prophet. He's kind of working in a church, so to speak, in the temple. And he's thinking, I can't ever go back there because I've kind of messed that up. But maybe I'll be able to turn and look again. And yet, when he's just about to be imprisoned forever in a sandy grave at the bottom of the sea, Jonah acknowledges that God brought him back up. God sent him down. God brought him up. Jonah acknowledges that God is sovereign in all of this. So as leading us here, he's, he's uh, make any thoughts here before uh, we get to uh, his prayer inside the fish. Any, anything here that stands out to you before we move on to verse 7? I wrote in my devotion regarding actually verse 6 that um, that's how we feel when, when we know we've done something wrong with God. So we expect him not to, to rescue us and not to deliver us. And yet that's the furthest thing from his mind. Nice. Amen. And the beauty of this text is that deliverance is unexpected. We don't, we don't, we don't expect this. And that's what gives the story power because we, we weren't expecting God to send a fish. We weren't expecting God to do that. And, and here he is. Someone else joining us. It's also unexpected because it's undeserved. And I think that's what, what highlights the fact that it's unexpected. Yeah. Undeserved. Yeah. Any, anytime anyone ever says I deserve grace, it's no longer grace. You can't possibly deserve it. And so, yeah, that's, yeah, that's good stuff. Seven or nine here. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose up to you to your holy temple. And then he just, he drops his verse eight here. And, and verse eight is just, is fun. Those who cling to worthless idols tur turn away from God's love for them. But I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. So we have three things here, remembered and cling and grateful. Remembered, um, that word is, I think of that word because we, we, have, we get names from that word. The word is zakar, and uh, the prophet Zachariah, or anyone named Zachary, based off that, is remembering. And so God remembered. And Moses is quick to say, like the first duty of Israel in Deuteronomy 8.18, but remember. But remember the Lord your God. Israel's first duty was always to remember this very God who delivered them and who, who has plans for them 
and who is, in a very real sense, married to them. They're to look at him as their husband, their king, and uh, remember, that's, Jonah remembered, it seemed like only when he was almost dead, and um, clinging, clinging to worthless idols. Um, the, the word for worthless here, um, oddly enough, means false or like vain. It's the same word that's in Deuteronomy 5, uh, one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not bear false witness. So idols, if you think about an idol, like somebody who is in a direct competition with God, um, I like what John MacArthur says about them. They are not. So they don't really exist. God has no substitutes. There is no one else in God's category. So they really aren't. I mean, at least in terms of um, like a teleological thing where they just don't exist as an option. They, they exist in our temptations and they exist as we turn to them. But in terms of like an actual divinity option to God, they're not. And so they really are false. They really are. They don't have that intrinsic worth that God has. And so Jonah describes this clinging to worthless idols um, and forfeiting this love uh, like someone who's abandoning a faithful and loving spouse. So you've been married to this person and they love you and they serve you and they're good for you and you just abscond and take off. That's, the, that's what he's, how he describes this. And he brings this up because he wants you to know, the reader, because he, he wants to say this. And, and, and commentators like to think that he is, in his prayer, um, he is, is talking to the future of his own country, who's going to be so ensconced in all kinds of idol worship, that, he, that, that his, 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 his people need to know about idols and not to go to them. And that's all well and good. But the immediate context is the, what he continues with when he says, but I. It's like those who clean the worthless idols, okay, done. But I, I'm going to praise. It's like he's doing a, um, we see this all the time, virtue signal. Here he is. He's saying who he's going to praise. And ironically, I don't want to hear that right now, Jonah. I'm too concerned about the fact that you're not dead. I don't want to hear about your faith. You just spent an entire chapter running from God and doing your own thing and only reluctantly being that prophet to those sailors. And then now you, now you want to talk about things. It's like you're celebrating only when your team wins. It's like, I, I, just, don't, I, I just don't want to hear it from him. But he must have a larger point here. And he's grateful. And, and he brings up something here about Thanksgiving and, ta- and about God's temple. And believe it or not, in, in Leviticus 7.15, there's this verse that says, The meat of their fellowship offering of Thanksgiving must be eaten. So you would go to God's house and start it as the tabernacle, later the temple, and you would bring an offering, like a free will offering. No one's commanding this. Like something great happened to you, like a whale swallowed you when you're about ready to drown, and you show up with meat. And you are there, and you're just going to have a barbecue at the temple. You can bring your family and friends. The priest is going to get his portion. All the fat of the animals on the altar is going to go to God. And then you can have a party, but you got to eat it that day. And so you turn into a big golden corral kind of thing. But you party with God at the temple with a bunch of meat. And in a time period when you did not eat a lot of meat, you got to have a barbecue party with God. That's what Jonah is looking forward to here. And... He to give thanks. And good for him. He needs to give thanks. And so seaweed Jonah the rebel learned real quick about God and idols. I don't really know what to do with this idol verse he's got in here. It, it almost seems out of place. But um, 
Yeah, not dying is a big win, Mick. Yeah, that's right. He, was, he thought he was a goner. You're right. Um, I, I don't really know about the idolatry thing, but I'll tell you this. Um, why, why the idol verse? I'm tempting to criticize his hypocrisy here, but just look at what he says. Idols are vain. They're worthless. They're powerless. They're false. If Jonah could have lost God's loving kindness, he would. Think of it this way. Just think of it in terms of salvation real quick. If you could lose it, this is going to get to one saved, always saved real quick. If you could lose that thing, then Jonah would be toast. Because he not only ran away with his, with his thought life, he just physically ran away. He completely, God said go and Jonah said no. If you could lose this grace that God offers you, Jonah would have lost it. But would God stay faithful to a disobedient rebel? Would God stay faithful to even, to even a Jonah? God's grace pursued that rebel. Only God can deliver. Idols never can deliver. So Jonah, as he's sitting there swallowed by this sea monster, or whatever it is, and he's sitting there on the floor of that thing's diaphragm or whatever the, the gut or whatever it is, the gizzard, I don't know what the thing has. He's sitting there and the smell is all around him. He's realizing I'm not drowning anymore. He has to realize anybody who worships an idol is toast because only the living God could do this. And that's why he says, I'm going to do this. He's kind of has a theological thing here. And uh, Mick texted in, I think it has, it has to do with faithfulness. God is faithful and everything else. Well, just isn't exactly. Jonah has just experienced a faithful God. Yes. And when you see the real thing, all the false things are just that. You're, you're not, you're not going to play that game anymore. You're not going to hang out with them anymore. You're, it's it's um, Idols never can deliver. And honestly, when you look at chapter one, who is the idol? Himself. And the, the, the self is the greatest idol. That's why Jesus said, deny yourself. Because if your self's in the way, forget about it. Idols never can deliver, even like Jonah when that idol is himself. And verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish, who and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Wow. I found a verse here in Jeremiah 51. It actually talks about swallowing and vomiting. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has devoured us. Like a serpent, he has swallowed us and filled his stomach and then has spewed us out. Ooh, yummy, tasty. Well, Something you need to know, theologically speaking, you've got two types of creation. You've got human creation, and you've got non-human creation. God made human creation. Excuse me. God made, let's take the non-human first. God made non-human creation, everything else but us. He's spoken. He's spoken into existence. And um, what did he do with us in Genesis. He formed us. He formed Adam from the dust of the earth. The rest of creation, he spoke. But with Adam, he formed. So we're different. There's already something unique about humanity. So when it comes to responding to God, you've got the non-human creation and the human creation. When God speaks, the non-human creation, and this fish or whatever this is, is not a human, okay? There's no arguing. There's no yeah, but. 
there's no, well, you know what, God, I hear what you're saying, but I have my own theory. There's no Moses talking to the burning bush. Have you thought this through? I don't speak very well. May I stutter? I mean, seriously, God, I mean, I, I mean, I, really, this is not the way I would go. No, God speaks and the fish does. There's obedience right away. It's only us, only God's human creation. We're the ones that have obedience issues. How do we know that? God said, go, and Jonah said, no, and he took off to the other end of the earth, and we have the issues, and the human creation like Jonah sometimes resists God's speech, but non-human creation never resists God's speech, and you'll believe it or not, there's another kind of uh, creation too, uh, like you think of the story where uh, the, the, the demons called themselves legion, and God sent them in, and Jesus, God, Jesus sent them into a herd of pigs, the demons went. They didn't, they didn't bargain. They didn't say, oh, hold on. You know, when Jesus cast out demons, they obeyed. There was no option B. There was no, well, hold on. You know, no, they, they, there's nothing they could do. And so they went. And so the fish, the, the fish obeyed. So we have to imagine how we know they were far out at sea because when Jonah gave them that option to toss them into the water, What's the first thing they do? They're starting to pull oars. They had to find the bank again and come back in. And so they were just far enough out where they thought, well, maybe we could roll, roll back in. And, but they couldn't. So when this fish swallows Jonah, he doesn't just stay there. We get the impression that Jonah is on the move. And uh, it just makes my, my, my stomach do flip-flops. You know, I, I, I'm motion sick now. This, this season of my life, I get motion sick. It's easy. I'm motion sick just thinking about being inside of a fish as it swims just to get to the land to be able to be vomited out. Now, vomit in the Old, in the Old Testament, and we see this in, um, was it the church of Laodicea, where God, well, you're, you're, you're not cold, you're hot, you're this lukewarm, he's just going to vomit you out or spew you out. We see this in the Greek and the New Testament. But in the ancient world with the Hebrew, this vomit was, um, if, if you were vomited, well, it's the same way in Revelation. It's judgment. And so you were disobedient. And so vomit means judgment. But here's what's cool. Here Jonah is vomited. He was already disobedient. We know that. Okay. God said go. Jonah said no. Disobedience. But Jonah was saved. He was vomited out despite his disobedience. Being swallowed and vomited are actually Jonah's salvation and deliverance. They're not being judged. It's actually how God saved him. The swallowing by this sea creature and the vomiting, um, that is, that's his salvation. That's his deliverance. That's like his unexpected... Nobody! I mean... Even if you were to imagine being swallowed by a gigantic fish, the last thing you'd expect was that thing was going to give you a one-way trip back to shore and then, then kindly puke you out. I mean, my goodness. Well, make any thoughts here from uh, 7 to 10 before we kind of go on to this kind of some concluding things? Is there anything that's really sticking in your, in your head from uh, 7 through 9 and then the vomiting in verse 10? No, I mean, just the, the big word repentance, repentance and God's grace. Yeah. And the big question I have is, is Jonah repentant? 
that that's the one that they stick in my craw because I came into this this week from last week's session going, oh yeah, it's coming this week, it's coming. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know if- I, I just don't want to get ahead of myself here. I think I, he is repentant. I think he is. We're gonna to touch on chapter four a little bit here in just a second because we kind of have to. Yeah. But I mean, but yeah, it's, I mean, he's at the point where repentance would be, I, I'm thinking of like in Luke 15, where the prodigal son says, I can't take this anymore. If I go back and humble myself, it'll be all be different. And there's like a turning moment here. Whereas with Jonah, I don't see the turning moment. I see, if anything, God turning him. As in like, okay, you're not going to keep going this way because I'm going to stop this. And this doesn't exist anymore, and that's gone. And now you have no excuse but to go this way. It's like a forced repentance. If anything, it's like God, it's, repentance is God's idea for Jonah, which theologically speaking, salvation, um, salvation is all God's idea. So I, I'm fine with that from, from very, a Reformed theological perspective, that God, that if I'm ever going to repent of my ways, that repentance is going to be coming from God. God's going to produce that repentance in me. It may not be as overt as I'm going to be tossed overboard and swallowed up by a sea creature, then taken the other way. But I mean, Jonah just can't run anymore. He physically can't run. And so I know, but that, 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 that's the tension that that's the theological tension you have to wrestle with. And I'm not going to give you a good answer tonight. I wish I could. I don't have a good answer. Did Jonah repent? And Mick seemed to think like, you know, he's seeing it. Me? I mean, I, you, I guess you can look at the entirety of the four chapters and kind of see what's going on here. But, yeah, the inner Jonah and the outer reality. Let me just kind of scroll this page down here so we can have the last bit. The inner Jonah, oh, yeah, obedience and a smelly salvation. Yeah, that, I, again, I, I just, I, I wonder if he, the smell of fish would always be a good smell for him after that. I don't know, the smelly salvation. The inner Jonah and the outer reality. Um, did it surprise you that Jonah prayed a prayer of thanksgiving to God, even when he was still in danger? So he's no longer on the bottom of the floor, having seaweed choking him out. But he's in a fish. He's not out of the woods. He's not fully and finally delivered. Did that surprise you that uh, he prayed a prayer of thanksgiving? Um, Jonah was indeed rescued from the sea, but uh, he's in motion at sea. He's at great risk of death. And I don't think he had a category in his brain to think like, okay, maybe this thing's going to spit me out. I have no idea. And he wasn't privy to God saying, yeah, hold on. Just hold on a little bit longer, Jonah. That once we get closer, I'm going to have him chuck you out. Nothing. Yeah, it makes it not, not really surprised about the Thanksgiving prayer. The fact that he wasn't dead was not lost on him. Correct. So we're, we're not, that's a great point. We're not at all surprised he's having Thanksgiving, but he's, but he's not out of the woods. So it's, Jonah offers up a uh, song of, of pure praise. He declares his own piety. He declares God's faithfulness. And yet he is still in the depths of the sea, but he's full of praise. And that's cool. Jonah shows deep gratitude for the unexpected deliverance, even though he is still not yet fully delivered. Did you catch that? Jonah shows deep gratitude for his unexpected deliverance, even though he still is not yet fully delivered. 
And Mick texted in, he must have reasoned that God had a reason for not letting him die there and then. I hope so. I, I, I hope that's what he reasoned. Um, we're not exactly told there. The prayer just talks about God and what God did and God answered him. And that's how God answered him. And um, yeah, he prayed the prayer that we would expect. Here's the cool thing. Jonah prayed a cool prayer, but he prayed a prayer that I would expect him to pray when he's already on land. When all is said and done, and he's just like wiping the slime off of him, but he's on the, he's on the ground. I remember my first time we sailed across, we left from the port was in Florida. We sailed all the way across the Atlantic and we were going to, I don't know, Gibraltar. We're going to, we're going to the Mediterranean area, but we sailed all the way across the Atlantic. And the Atlantic was, you hit the jet stream of the, of, of the Atlantic Ocean, and the, the Atlantic Ocean reminds you that it's the Atlantic Ocean. And so it, 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 it was not smooth sailing, but it wasn't horrible. But when we finally got to that first port of call, there were people getting off the boat and kissing the ground. Like, we're not, you know, you're walking the, 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 the cruise ship, and you're going back and forth and that kind of stuff. And even on a gigantic cruise ship, and you get you, that first port of call, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my gosh, the land. We expected this prayer from Jonah when he's on land, but we're getting this prayer when he's still on the fish. That's what's cool. He prayed the prayer we would expect back on dry land, but he prays it while he's still in the belly of the fish. That's a kind of a cool faith. That's a faith that says, God, I'm not out of the woods just yet or out of the fish just yet, but you've got this. That's a cool faith. I like that. I'm going to pray this prayer that is a prayer of certainty, even though I'm still in danger. I mean, again, he's inside of a fish. This guy has no idea what's going to happen to him, but it really doesn't matter because he says he knows that God's in control. Now, what's the tension between the song and the story? Yeah, even under fishy circumstances, that's right. The tension between the song and the story, we got to kind of go the, the context of the whole book here. Because in chapter one, he rebels and takes off. Chapter two, he's inside the fish. Chapter three, he's actually going to do the ministry. And chapter four, we're going to see the results of the ministry. And Jonah is going to have a pity party moment where we're going to get deep into the, into the psyche of what's going on with Jonah. Where he's, he's going to whine. He's going to complain. He's gonna, it's it's going to be a, a very... A very interesting chapter. We get the whole Bible, the whole bi biblical approach here of these four chapters. And I've got a got a three-year-old playing with her toys very loudly behind me. But in the psalm or the song, Jonah is grateful. As the story unfolds, Jonah is defiant. He will go to Nineveh. Since God has made it clear, he must go to Nineveh. He will simply protest again later. Jonah prays the prayer he is capable of praying. He's not dead at the bottom of the sea, but he's surrounded by smelly fish slime. And all indication is that God accepted this from Jonah. Whatever prayer, whatever prayer that, uh, that this was, and however God received it, God looks like God received it. And God, you know, it must have been what God wanted to hear. I don't know what it is, but, but God, God responded by delivering him again. And so it's almost as if this is God's plan all along, that God's going to deal with Jonah 
one attitude at a time. You're going to rebel. I'm going to deal with that. You're going to almost drown. Well, I'm going to deal with that. You're going to get here and all of a sudden you're going to deal with this. I'm going to deal with that. You see, Jonah is going to protest again. Jonah is, um, yeah, Jonah is, he's got this profound faith. But there's a complexity here. He has his faith, but at the same time, he's got this protest. He's got this protest within him where he is he, he's not happy with the situation, but he's going to trust God. And so there's a tension there. You've got to embrace that tension of the book of Jonah. What do we learn from the perspective of Jonah's situation? Our lives are like Jonah and that fish. We have experienced salvation from the immediate issue facing our souls, but we still await the final deliverance. And like Jonah, we journey forward with our lives entrusted to God. Even if life gets uncomfortable, if it gets scary, or in Jonah's case, even smelly. And honestly, think about it for just one second. You know more about your future than Jonah knew about his. Let that sink in for one second. You who is a student of the New Testament as well as the Old Testament, you know more about your future in Christ than he knew about his. He had no idea. He had no idea what was going to happen. The three days he spent it, he had no idea what was going to happen in three days, in two days, in one day. Nothing. But you have that. We journey forward. Jonah still turned to God and gave thanks in the situation he was in. From inside the fish, sadly, Jonah doesn't repent of his rebellion because if he didn't hear it. He does say the vow I made, I'm going to keep. Okay. That doesn't mean that that's his vow to go to Nineveh, because I don't think he made a vow. He just took off. Um, but he does end his fleeing. He turns to God and acknowledges his salvation, even though he has not resolved his questions concerning Nineveh and the reason why he ran in the first place. Those aren't resolved. But one thing at a time. Yeah, Mick, Mick Texan, I love Jonah's story because it's as real as it gets, aside from the fish thing. But, uh, yeah, let us sink in for one second. I did not intend that pun, but you know what? Every once in a while, genius comes out. And I think Val is Thanksgiving offering. Yeah, that's probably it, that Val, that once again, he's going to go to the temple and do that. And that's, that's, a, that's a very good point. Yeah, that's most likely exactly right. So, yeah. Maintain the perspective Jonah has. Your life is inside that fish right now. You've been delivered from the penalty of your sin. You stand before God redeemed because of Christ on the cross. The hardest thing your life could ever have has been taken care of. God has done all the heavy lifting. You've been, you've been saved from the bottom of that sea, but right now you're still in the fish. You're journeying in this life. What kind of response are you going to have? Have a Jonah response. Have a response that trusts in God no matter what. The complex faith of Jonah, pious and protesting. Jonah's piety is very real, but so is his protest. He reminds us of Job who maintained his integrity, that he hadn't done anything wrong. Remember that, the Job story? He kept saying, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't deserve this. All of his friends were saying, yeah, you must have done something wrong because nobody just has these things happen to them. And Job's like, no. And he goes on and on and on. It's like, give me a shot at you, God. Let me, let me talk to you. Let me just reason with you. If I ever get the chance to talk to you, God, that I'll let you know and everyone else will know that, I didn't, that I'm just and I have integrity and I didn't have, this should have happened to me. And he's protesting this whole book that he has innocence and he has integrity. But in the midst of Job's protest, 
there's faith. In fact, his protest is like, God, you're doing this to me. You're making me bitter. You're doing these bitter things to me. He's like, Naomi, God, you cut you. When I left, I was full, but now I'm coming back empty. And there's protest there, but there's piety. There's faithfulness, even in the midst of the protest. And what the prayer inside the fish teaches us is that Jonah could continue to protest. And believe me, he will. He could continue his protest, but what had to stop? His running away. He could not continue to run. Jonah gave thanks to God in spite of his uncertainty of the situation. He gave thanks to God knowing that he didn't deserve the rescue. He gave thanks in spite of a deep discomfort. He gave thanks despite his issues that he still holds on to with God and what God's called him to do. But he maintains hope and he journeys forward. In faith, what else can he do besides that? Mick texts in, the word complex really is a good way of putting it. Protest and piety because he is a three-dimensional person. Yeah, he's just a very complex. Jonah's a great complex character. And I don't think you're going to fall in love with Jonah after chapter two. But it's easy to fall in love with him right now. It's easy to see his example and go, dang, I want that to be me. Because I've experienced every bit of a miracle as Jonah did with that stinking fish, literally the stinking fish. Christ died in my place and I've been redeemed. It's like, I am a walking miracle. <sighs> what else could Jonah do but that? And he did it. He maintains hope as he journeys forward, even in the middle of that fish. Now, the sign of Jonah this is something a little bit off topic here, but I guess it's an okay way to close. Um, so people can admit here. Okay. And Jesus mentions this in, in, Matthew, in Matthew 12. And then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What in the world did Jesus mean by that? It's just kind of a weird thing. It's just a random thing when Jesus is like, oh, you get the sign of Jonah. You're like, what? Sign of Jonah? Ooh, this is good. Jonah was in a fish that had just swallowed him. A place that ought to have been his place of death became a place of deliverance. It was completely expect, unexpected. In linking his work to the story of Jonah, Jesus is telling those Pharisees that God is at work to save even before those fleeing him are even aware of him. Jonah was fleeing him, fleeing God, but God was at work to save Jonah. God sent the storm. Yeah, he calls it Sheol in verse 2. Yeah, it's from the grave. That's a good point. Sheol is, is the afterlife that the, the ancient Hebrew perspective had. They called it the grave, the pit. It's like, kind of like a resting place for eternity before the final resurrection. And especially in the Old Testament poetry and prophecy, Sheol is, um, it's like the grave, the pit. It's, and very, very much linked to the bottom of the sea. And uh, so that's why when I think a verse we skipped, I didn't read at the very beginning. Uh, now the earth was formless and empty in Genesis 1. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. 
and that's where Jonah is in the deep. And it's just this Genesis 1, 2. He, that's where he's right there. Um, he is a terrifying place. And he, no one expected him to be delivered. That's why, that's why the sailors didn't want to chuck him over, but they had to, and they did. God is at work to save you before you know he's at work to save you. The disciples didn't expect the resurrection, even though Jesus had told them about it. Even the, when, the, when the women showed up testifying about the empty tomb, they still didn't believe there was an empty tomb. The last thing the disciples, the disciples expected was a resurrection. That's why they all ran. They freaked out when Jesus died. They didn't expect, they put him in the tomb and that's it. They, they weren't expecting a resurrection. That did not make sense to them. That's the sign. That's the sign. It's an unexpected deliverance. That unexpected deliverance. And so the Pharisees were thinking the sign of Jonah. They, they might have been mopping their brow like, what in the Sam Hill are you talking about? Jesus was going to deliver them. And it looks like all is lost and that he's dead. But it's unexpected. There's a, there's a brand new deliverance that's going to happen. A deliverance from sin and then deliverance from the grave. And he's the first one delivered from the grave. That first fruits. In the belly of the fish, Jonah was protected from drowning, but he was still a captive. He was a captive. He wasn't going anywhere. We were hoping the fish doesn't swallow. He's in there. We hope that a digestive process of the fish's stomach. You know what? Maybe God caused the laws of physics to cease in the midst of this creature, that his digestive juices and the peristalsis of him going down into the, the canals or whatever is stopping. Just so Jonah stays alive. If God can close the mouths of a lion, God can stop the, uh, the hydrochloric acid and the inner linings of the fish's stomach to stop working. I don't know. Here it is. He was a captive. He was captive inside this fish. It reminds us of another captive whose chains ushered in deliverance. Paul writes this in Philippians 1. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Dang. Those chains. Paul was a captive, but it is precisely because he was a captive that the gospel got to advance in the way that it did. You know, we're about, we were about ready to leave Camp Iwana. We were, we were around, it was the night before. It was after the worship service. And we had a nice big campfire. People were gathering around the campfire and, and talking. Well, eventually my son makes it down there. And there were other, other young boys that were around there too. And they, they were infatuated with the fire, as you can imagine. And my son being a good follower in that moment, he, he, he found sticks. And he wanted to uh, stick the sticks in the fire and make it uh, light up. And I was fine with that. But then with everybody around the fire, with you know, young kids, that kind of stuff, he wanted to start waving it around, this flame or whatnot. And I wasn't having that. And so I was just calmly telling him and trying to be a, a, a good daddy, trying to be more, uh, to use a comic book analogy, Bruce Banner and not the Incredible Hulk. It's like, I'm trying to stay, it's like, calm daddy, calm daddy. And finally he did it one more time. I had to usher him away from the fire and everybody could hear me. I didn't explode, but it was just kind of like, I'm just sick of this. You didn't listen to me. You didn't listen to me. And everybody got to hear me, whether you want to call it a failing or not, I felt like a failure. 
And Joshua immediately got all sad. He's over there. Well, I just, I'm not, I maybe I'm not worthy to be your son. He just kind of went really dramatic and marched off into the woods. I'm like, oh, geez, you know, I, could this have gone worse? And so we kind of ushered back into the cabin. I thought to myself, reset. One more reset. This time we came back. And uh, of course, Jen came back and Julia came back. Here it was. And we brought marshmallows. Our thought was, you know, if Joshua wants to poke sticks into the fire, let the dude have a marshmallow at the end of it. And, let, and he cooked marshmallows for everybody around the circle. It was a really cool moment. And that moment just required a reset. Again, I'm learning this as a daddy. Those resets are, and, and I'm just, I was telling the people around the circle, I'm like, you know, I, you know, and they were commiserating, oh, we all have kids, we all get it, there's not a parent alive who wouldn't react the same way you did or whatever. They were trying to make me feel good, but I felt rotten. I felt like I wasn't a good dad in that moment. And that reset was necessary, because then the rest of the evening was great. It was just a great teachable moment. Not much for him, but once again, for me. If people are, are the hero of their own stories, enough of that. I'm never the hero of my story, my goodness. See your life like a Jonah or like a Paul. Praise God for his faithfulness, even in your most difficult situations. Be thankful for the deliverance you've already received. Trust him to deal with the fish you currently are a captive in and for the rest of your story to unfold. You've been delivered. And there's that already not yet tension. You are saved. You are living in the midst of that salvation, but your salvation still has a full and final thing you're awaiting for. And until then, you're in the fish. Maintain a faith like Jonah. And uh, Mick typed, typed in here that very reason, the reset is why I believe Jonah repented. Fair enough. Maybe this reset set everything back in motion. We're going to get to chapter four, and we may disagree. Or maybe he's still dealing with this protest. And you know what? He's fine with what God is, what God is doing in his life, but he's not at all comfortable with what God's going to do with the enemy's life. And that's why he ran. We'll get to that in chapter four. Next week, we're going to see pound for pound, the greatest missionary of all time. No one touches him. Pound for pound, he's the best. And there's no argument. God bless you. We'll see you for chapter three next week.